Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 54 of the Citizen Dame podcast, the podcast where we really hope we're not cursed, but, you know, it's Halloween, so anything could happen. Um, We're having some weird issues this morning, but I think we got it all straightened out, maybe, hopefully. Possibly. (laughs) We'll see. Maybe. No, I don't believe it. (laughs) I'll believe it when I see it or hear it or whatever. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I'm Karen Peterson, and with me, as always, is Kristen Lopez. Hello. Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. So, um, let's just get right into the garbage people, and we'll just talk about this briefly, and then get into stuff we actually want to talk about, because we don't want to talk about garbage people. Uh, especially, we don't want to talk about charges being dropped against Harvey Weinstein, um no. yeah so this happened this was announced a day or two ago uh i mean he's still he's still indicted for a lot of things but um prosecutors had to drop one of the charges um and this was a charge from something that happened in 2004 and um i didn't read the article. Did someone else? <laughs> I didn't do my homework. Uh, so I'll just I'll jump in. Um, so this is uh, according to the New York Police Department that supposedly a detective improperly coached a witness. Uh. So one of the the women uh, who claims that he forced her to perform a sexual act on him supposedly there is now information that they've had to abandon that case because uh, a witness was changing her story. Mm. And it was uh, Evans, right? She's the first one that that came out against him. So uh, we'll see what that means for the rest of the case. I hope this is just uh, one piece and that everything will move forward. Who knows? Uh, This stuff is so frustrating. I mean, according to according to the um, the Manhattan assistant DA, she says that that she's confident in the overall case against Weinstein. It sounds like it sounds like that this was one that a detective behaved in, improperly, and it result it's resulted in this basically. Yeah, yeah, and the, we do have to remember this is one one charge in a list of cases he's still facing what six or five counts i think i think it's five now i think there were six and now he's got five still to go and yeah if she's saying she's confident those cases are solid then i think that you know that's that's good and we'll just trust the system for now well and this is the this is the case that's against him in um uh, in New York, mm-hmm. aren't there other ones being investigated in, in like other countries? Well, and there are still a couple being investigated in LA, but I don't think yeah. anything's going to happen with those. But yeah, I think he's under investigation in in uh, Britain too. So we'll yeah, see. so it's not it's not putting all of our eggs in one basket, as it were. But it it is unfortunate that something like this 
happens, particularly given all of the stuff that's been going on in the past uh, the past couple of weeks. It's just like, can we just get Harvey Weinstein, please? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I think I wasn't here last week because of the audio problems I was having, but um, listening to what you guys were talking about with Bill Cosby, I mean, I think that that showed it's possible. <laughs> it's possible to do yeah. this. It's just, it takes a long time. I mean, Cosby had two trials before he finally got a jail sentence and justice is, you know, levied. But, you know, so this takes a long time. We just have to be patient and trust that this will happen. So we'll see. Anybody else have any other thoughts? I mean, unfortunately, the problem is, is that all it takes is one of these kind of improper handlings of something for... You're always going to get people that disbelieve, but I feel like, unfortunately, like, I hate when stuff like this happens because that, that it's going to be, oh, great, see, it happened against one, therefore it's all of them, because that's how stupid dudes think. Yeah, but that's, I mean, there there are legal, the the fact is that the, there's a legal issue that's going well, on right. here. And, and, you know, you, and there's particular ways that detectives have to behave and police officers have to behave. I agree, the public reaction is always going to, you're always going to have that kind of like, well, obviously this means that all women are lying, you know? Right. All of that sort of shit, because it's, it's like, um, and we, I think we, we've talked about this before on this podcast, the, um, all you need is one instance of a false accusation, which does happen, but happens very, very rarely. But all you need is just one high profile instance for all of the dudes to come out. And even a lot of women, to come out of the woodwork and say, well, obviously this means that all of these accusations are false. Mm-hmm. So it's exhausting. It is. It really is. I, I don't think I can tr- contribute much more than what's already being said. Um, the hope, you know, like Lauren just said, you know, the police have to behave one way The you know, detectives have to behave a certain way. We all know why these checks and, you know, these balances are in there. Um, trying very hard to be kind of lose my cynicism from last week and just say there are so many he is facing so many charges we just need a few of them to stick so as long as you know hopefully everything continues with the exception of one little detour but he's still facing charges and hopefully we'll get the uh those victims will get the justice that they're looking for yeah mm-hmm. yep um, so moving over to, um, a little bit more garbage. <laughs> so, um, Stephen Elliott didn't like being called a shitty man in media. And so now he's suing Moira Donegan, who started the shitty men in media list last summer. And, um, this is such a, such a fun one. Um, Lauren, I know that you have talked a lot about this on Twitter, and you have a lot of strong yes. opinions about this situation, so why don't you lead this one? <laughs> I mean... Good uh, opinions. The, Good no. opinions. <laughs> Good, yes. Everybody yes. agrees with me. <laughs> yes. Uh, just so that I'm right. In this case, you are, yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm always right. Usually. Um, thank you, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, the, the whole shooting men in media list thing was very, I mean, I guess that this is very personal to us as, as women who work in media in various capacities. Shooting men in media, I I believe, wasn't just focused on film writers or anything like that. It was focused on pretty much any man who works in, in journalism or any, 
media setting who has behaved badly. You know, there was all of these conversations about whether or not this spreadsheet was uh, was a good idea, was something that um, was something that was unfair to these men because obviously the, this was a spreadsheet where you, where women could actually post accusations saying like, okay, this guy has been accused of rape. This guy has been accused of sexual assault. This guy, this guy has been accused of harassment. You know, some of them were, were guys that, um, you know, were just verbally harassing. Uh, and what, what's really disgusting about this is that, um, the cut who I think actually released the initial, um, the initial report about Stephen, about Stephen Elliott, uh, suing Mara Donegan, then also gave space to five men who had been supposedly named on the shitty men in media list without on the condition that they could that they could write anonymously right so here we have a story where a woman was outed for producing a list to communicate with other women to say these are guys that you need to watch out for she was then outed and um, they turned around and are like, oh, well, we've got to give these men who are now going to write paragraphs for us about how this is silly or that, no, I was falsely accused or all that. We're going to give them an anonymity. And it was all kinds of bullshit. And it just sort of reinforces the way that a lot of, a lot of publications, even well-meaning publications, um, reinforce this whole idea that we can't ruin these guys' lives. You know, this woman is being sued. This woman was outed. This woman was treated like a pariah. And but we we got to be certain that the men are protected. We got to be certain that they can anonymously discuss their feelings about being accused of harassment. And it's it's bullshit. Like I I, I find all of this incredibly disheartening and. Um, I just hope that this this whole this whole lawsuit eventually goes away for her because she doesn't deserve it. She was actually trying to help people. Mm -hmm. Exactly, Kim. Same, same. Once again, I don't know how much I could possibly contribute. It's I saw this story kind of slowly breaking, and I remember back when she was getting outed, and I. It makes no sense in my head how, I mean, I, you know, libel, slander, or whatever, but it's, don't be a dick. I mean, it's a sad statement to the battle of, that continues go, to go on, the automatic assumption that men are making that, you know, of these false, you know, that women are somehow making false accusations. She's doing this to protect people and for, you know she's literally just saying watch out for this guy and then this guy who you know these men who are potentially there there are no words <laughs> it's sad it's pathetic and it's reasons like that why i find myself being a cynic in situations like this yeah Kristen. um i i think a lot of what i i've been thinking has already been said but uh, you know because we have to know how the men feel. The men suffer emotional distress and they have to sue. Women have been suffering emotional distress since Eve ate that apple. And, you know, that's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing. It's like, it's always about, you know, I, I'm so tired of this. Well, you know, there's a witch hunt. Men are being falsely accused. Uh, really, I haven't seen any evidence of that. Which I know is hard to prove a negative, but... 
I, you know, if you're being falsely accused of stuff, I, I, I don't even know what to say either. I just, well, I, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was, I was just gonna say, well, they have these men, basically, like, if you read the cut article, where um, the, the five of them are like, every single one of them are like, oh, I sometimes maybe behaved in a way that I shouldn't have, right. but I'm totally innocent. Like, and, and the thing is, they're giving them anonymity, so there's no way, there's no way for any woman, like, to look at that and go like, hey, actually, you know what, I know you, and I'm the one that you tried to rape, or I'm the one that you verbally harassed. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way to say, they're just like, no, I totally didn't do it, guys. Like, why even give the, the play to that? Well, and part of the problem is that so often these guys don't actually know what harassment is because it hasn't been pointed out to them. And it's it's so much of that is based on how it's received and not what's not what the, you know, supposed intention yeah. is. And so they may actually think they didn't do anything wrong. And a lot of times they probably do think they didn't do anything wrong, you know, or like they try to touch a woman. They're like, what? I'm just being friendly, you know, or whatever. And like in their head, they haven't done, they, they probably do believe they're innocent in a lot of situations, but that doesn't mean that they are. And that's the thing. Like, women need to be able to have a safe place to, to share what happened to them without having repercussions. And we know in in this world, if a woman comes out and says, this happened to me, even if eventually she receives justice for that, it's going to be a really hard journey for her every single time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, oh, it's about the men's careers and their lives getting ruined. Think of the men. Um, let's move on and think of a man that we all enjoy, which is Paul Feig, who is producing... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah he, woman. that's right um oh, he is a gem and i love him so he's actually producing american princess uh which will now star Issa ray she has joined the cast and um this is being uh directed he's not directing it he's producing it and it's taking a long time to load because I didn't pull this up ahead of time. Uh, Stella Me Meggie, is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay, so she's directing. She did the YA adaptation Everything Everything, which was out, I think, last year. And so now she's directing American Princess, which Issa Rae, this is according to the article from Hollywood Reporter that summed up the film, um, Issa Rae plays an American woman who moves to London where she's drawn into a world of wealth and high society and falls in love in a very unexpected way. So that sounds like fun. And this is one of the, um, one of the projects that Paul Feig is working on from the producer's shoes where he's actually, he's, he's, working on building up female directors, which is really awesome. Part of why we love him. So, uh, yeah, he opened... yeah. Sorry, go go ahead. Ahead. no, no, I was no. saying thoughts on this. <laughs> so, uh, I was, no, I was just going to say, cause he, he recently opened, uh, what a female director incubator that yes. is yes. encouraging female directors and, and trying to get projects like this produced. And I mean, you know, uh, we said it before, Paul Feig is totally an honorary woman. Like we love you, Paul Feig. We really we do. know you never change. <laughs> he totally is. He loves us. You should be listening, Paul Feig. Please listen. <laughs> I I do love how 
and I don't like to compare other movies, especially with minority casts, but the way the Hollywood Reporter writes the synopsis, it sounds like crazy rich Asians in London, which is fine, because I love that movie, and I think it would be incredibly different with Issa Rae, who is uh, an African-American woman going to London, which is incredibly, like, white high society. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I just love that the Hollywood Reporter writes it in a way where you're just like, I feel like they just borrowed that synopsis when they previously wrote it for another movie. <laughs> Somebody probably missed a deadline, took the synopsis, deleted the names, and changed it over. <laughs> Maybe. But it still sounds fun, and I love Issa Rae, so... That'll be good. I mean, at a certain point, don't all, like, romantic movies or romantic comedies... Yeah, there's only, like, six plots. sound the same. Exactly. I mean, you know, even Crazy Rich Asians, you know, which I, I loved, and it was great, but it it's very similar to I at least 10 other films and numerous other stories true yes as as someone who may have kind of might have sort of used to write fan fiction in the old days it's it's all the same thing <laughs> in the old days <laughs> in the... and I'm oh, here for it embarrassing That's websites people will never know about oh who should be the the person that she falls in love with Henry Golding, of course. <laughs> well, duh. Uh, duh. And he's already established <laughs> with Paul Feig, so I'm just going to assume that he's Paul Feig's like go-to Hawkeye. I'm for fine everything. with that. I, and I'm, I'm totally okay with this. Yep. All right. And um, James Gunn may direct Suicide Squad 2. And so, moving on to... <laughs> Uh, I'm so over. His career is so over that they gave him a $150 million movie. DC (laughs) is just picking up all of Marvel's cast offs, though. Yeah. All their. Between Joss Whedon and that, they're just kind of walking behind Marvel, just kind of sweeping everything up as they go. (laughs) Exactly. Except for Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman. Please don't ever, ever touch that. I mean, it's the only the, thing they have going for them. I mean, I, I, I can't say that anything wouldn't be an improvement on the first Suicide Squad. Well, that's Putting... true. And James Gunn did direct a good Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It's not even that. It's just... I, putting, I don't putting want on this. My, <laughs> putting on my geek journalist hat, leaving kind of our discussions here aside... It's honestly from a story side, a construction side, a narrative side, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And it's bound to anything James Gunn could do is bound to be better than the shit that was in that first movie. Who even directed the first Suicide Squad? I do not David remember. Ayer. David Ayer. Ayer, yeah. Ayer, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, that's how much of an impression that made on me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I saw it in the movie theater. As did I. I paid for that motherfucker. I watched it on HBO like a year later. And and we are supposed to do an audio commentary on it. That will happen at some point. We have to muster up the strength to actually sit through it again. Sorry, guys. That was my choice. Actually, I think it'll be fun to do an audio commentary because we'll just be mocking it the whole time oh yeah i'll just be be fine it's that guy who's not the other guy (laughs) next to him but that other other guy 
It's that guy, but not the other guy. You know, he's the guy that was in the thing before. But that not. one? No, no, the two. other one. I did that. I did that during the Predator because I was all, "Oh, it's the guy from Suicide Squad." Wait, no, it's not that guy. It's the guy I totally <laughs> confuse with that same guy. It's the other guy. <laughs> I mean, I'm just oh, saying, white guys, white blonde guys. You really re- need to start diversifying. You need to wear little somethings like name tags because name I tags. don't remember. The Boyd Hunnam Kinnamans of the world. Okay, y'all or, just not everybody can have a musical number like Chris Pine did when he opened Saturday Night Live. It was like I'm not that Chris. Exactly. Okay, and trust me, I know the difference between all the Chrises. Okay, so oh yes, not even a problem. Yeah, it's, it's yep. about having a personality, really. Because yes. when you look at it, the Chris, the Chris's, they are, they would be interchangeable if they didn't actually all have personalities and personas and things like that. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Anyway. Yeah. So that's apparently happening, and we'll move on. So <laughs> we got some questions this week. We love questions. Thank you, guys. Um. So we'll start with let's see from at Past Masters. What are the Citizen Dame's favorite movies of the year? Now, start- I don't want to give them all away because no. A, the year is not over, and Correct. B, we need you all to have a reason to listen to our best of the year episodes. Just exactly. some, And when, let's not rank these. Let's just throw out, you know, three or four films that you've really loved this year that may or may not even be in your top five. Let's start with Kim. Uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Hell um, yes! Hell yeah. I ended up yes. canceling my plans last night. I'm seeing it today, so. Do it, Erin. Join us. That my response when I came out of that review was, "Oh, this movie has purged all others from my mind." <laughs> yes. Um, throwing out a few others. Won't you be my neighbor? Um, that was probably near the top. Um. I had to look back at all my reviews. I will say, and I know I'm going to get skewered for this later. First Man, I loved. I So that's a few of my favorites. It's called Space Kim, Jazz, Kim. Kim, what you're not going to get skewered for it. Space Jazz. Space at jazz. least not by me. The hotly anticipated sequel to Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any others you want to mention? Uh, those are probably the three main ones. It's like Kristen just said, the year's still young. Yeah. Lauren? Uh, I, I'm going to probably blank on a bunch of things, but a simple favor. Yes. Mm-hmm. One of my big ones. Um, yeah, I, I, I really loved that one. Uh, I'll echo Won't You Be My Neighbor and also um, uh, Three Perfect Strangers. Yes, yes. Um, which was such it's such a good documentary. Like surprise, like surprisingly, it's a, it almost plays like a thriller. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see, Ocean's Eight. I just loved Ocean's Eight, and it made me happy, and I it continues to make me happy. So I will, I will like fuck for Ocean's Eight. Um, I was I was actually talking the other day with someone about like the, the Oscar races and everything like that, and I was completely blanking on films that I was like, oh, th- these are definitely going to get you know films that I liked that I was like, oh, these are definitely going to get nominations, or I hope that these get nominations. Uh, the favorite, actually, surprisingly enough, I can't believe that I'm going to list a Yorgos Lanthimos film as one of my <laughs> top films. As you um, should. And but I just really loved it again. Um, 
Those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. I hope Suspiria, but I haven't seen it yet. So, but I'm crossing my fingers for it. I have a feeling you're going to like that one. I really hope that I do. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Giallo recently, and I'm like, come on, bring on Suspiria. <laughs> nice. Uh, Kristen? Um, so I'm just running through my, my watch list. So uh, Black Panther, go all the way back to the beginning of the year. Um, I'd also throw out A, a Quiet Place. Um, that is my, one of mine. Hereditary, um, Always at the Carlisle, which mm-hmm. I know is just a 90-minute show for a hotel that I can never afford, but I love it. Um, I totally want to go to the bar there. Oh, yeah. Just um, hang out. <laughs> sorry to bother you. Blind spotting is still my number one of the year, I think. Um, uh, of course, it's already been said, Bad Times at the El Royale. Um, and trying to think of like one more that no one has said, hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a Netflix movie, but I'm going to count it to all the boys I've loved before. Totally I thought that counts. was adorable. Totally yeah. yeah. I thought that was adorable. Um, you should watch it on Netflix cause it's darling. I agree. Um, yeah, I co-sign on pretty much a lot of things that y'all have said cause I've seen most of those too. Um, I will also add Private Life, which is great, and that's on Netflix now. I liked it a lot. I wish I liked it more. Hmm, interesting. We'll have to talk more about that later. Um, I also really loved What They Had, which was great. Um, and let's see, what's some other ones? I know there's we. this was a mixed film on Citizen Dame, but Annihilation... I love it. Yeah, I put I put Annihilation on the list too. I I did uh, like it. Yeah, I I loved it. And then um I got to stay on brand Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh gosh. <laughs> I can't say that I probably won't own that when it comes out for reasons. <laughs> it is a great action film, you know. Yeah, sure, that happens it's too. Just- <laughs> it does supposed to do really, really well. She might just watch that bathroom fight scene. Gonna, yeah, yeah. Fast forward yeah. to like the bathroom fight, laugh at the third act when I'm supposed to believe things about Henry Cavill that I don't believe at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, okay. Nuclear scientist. I, I, I was like, I'm not. Con- I'm confused on what part I don't believe. I want to say all of it, but some you parts you, are more unbelievable than others. <laughs> uh, but it, they just all look so pretty. Um, okay, yeah, so yeah. moving on, we also got a question from at cinema underscore recall. Hello, Citizen Dames. I have been enjoying your podcast a lot. I would love to hear your thoughts on the flick Assassination Nation. Some have called it a pro-feminist piece, while others have called it a rape fantasy. Somebody... No, I don't think any oh, of one. us saw this, did we? No, did none of us see this. None of us saw it, but we did all have thoughts about being recommended movies that have these dichotomies or mm-hmm. these presumed dichotomies where it's like oh it's a feminist film and the others say no it's just a reason to exploit women on screen for two hours and then hope that people call it feminist i will say i've heard from women who love this movie candace frederick i believe is a, yeah. a big proponent for this movie being a feminist film um mm-hmm. i just have not gotten to see it because it played at my movie theater for a week and then disappeared 
Um, yeah. But it is yeah. one of those movies where I felt like a lot of the discourse from people who were calling it amazing were predominantly men. Mm-hmm. Lauren, yeah. please, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I know you said uh, yeah, some great yeah. things about it, so... I, I, I was just I was also just laughing because Kristen was just like none of us have seen it but and I was so like yeah, we, we all have, have opinions <laughs> we all have opinions we have it. lots of opinions um yeah I mean I I don't think I I hope that my to to cinema recall I I hope that my response to this did not like come off as too angry or anything like that because I wasn't particularly angry at the question um I was just sort of it, it was one of those things that, like Kristen said kind of struck at the the sense of being recommended these kinds of films, or even particularly when men say you should see X, and the example that I used was L. Um, yeah. That you, so you should see L, not necessarily because they think I'll like it, but because they want me to talk about it, or they want to argue with me about it, because they think that I'm going to have a particular reaction to it. I, I don't think that that is what this question is intended to be, but that was sort of my immediate response. Um, yeah, I, I, what I'm tired of, and this is just for me, and that's not necessarily a, a reflection on the quality or lack of quality of this film, I'm really tired of female trauma being used as entertainment. And one of the things that turned me off about the, the trailers of Assassination Nation, and even a lot of a lot of the reviews, both positive and negative, um, that I've seen has been this sense of we're going to use the traumatic experiences that women go through in order to produce this sort of hyper-violent entertainment um, for, for consumption. And it, it goes along in the same way as, um, as a lot of the kind of rape revenge uh, movies that have been made, things like I Spit on Your Grave, and and even movies that, again, that I still have not seen, but even movies like Revenge, um, that start out with, okay, we are now going to show you or we're going to use this, this concept of extreme violation, right? Rape is a very frightening thing, and it's something that all women are frightened of in some, in some way, whether or not we've ever experienced it. Uh, so, but we're going to use this as the jumping off point for a piece of entertainment. And that has, it's reached a point where I'm really, really troubled by it. And I'm particularly troubled with being told that I need to go off and watch these films in order to talk about them. I, I'm done. I, I don't want to see my gender being traumatized so that, you know, I can have an opinion on it. Well said. Anybody have anything they'd like to add to that? Because I, I think that sums it up very nicely. Well, I, I was going to throw out really quickly, just t talking about Elle, um, which is a movie that, yeah, I feel has a lot of the same sensibilities from from guys asking women to discuss it. Um, I was part of a podcast where I was the token female that was asked to be on Elle so that they didn't look like a bunch of dudes talking about a movie about rape. And when I emphasized to them how sickened I was by the movie um they acted like this was a whole new thing that they had never even thought about and they were like well see this is why we need women on the podcast so that we can no you motherfuckers should have been thinking about that from the get-go and the fact that you weren't it was troubling very troubling <laughs> A lot of a lot of men and a lot of male critics seem to they they have a distance from these kind of stories and and some of the, and it's not really their 
fault in the sense that it's not their fault that they that this is not something they think about. This is not something that they are particularly frightened of because they're men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just high. It's I mean, men men get raped. Men get raped by other men. Men get raped by women, etc. But it's not something that is constantly in the forefront of their minds. They've also very rarely seen like male rape on screen, right? This is not, this is something that is very often treated as, as extreme. And I remember being in, we talked about deliverance a couple of weeks ago. I remember being in that film class and the men talking and talking and talking about the, uh, the use of rape in that movie. And there is a very violent rape in it Mm -hmm. of, of a man by another man. And they just like kept on going on and on and on. And meanwhile, all the women are sitting back here. It's just like, yeah, welcome to our world. Like we've seen this, we've seen this done to women on film. And very often it's done as a a desire for titillation. Sometimes in movies like Irreversible, it's done really horrifically, but we've seen it. We've seen it over and over and over again. And this is something that has been a feature of our lives, both as film goers and as just women walking down the street. And that's something that men don't understand. And that's something that men need to understand. They need to, I've said it before on Twitter, men need to sometimes sit down and watch a movie and think about what they would feel if they were a woman. Um, In much the same ways that we need to, we need to try to think about, you know, how we would feel if I was a black person watching particular films, like Mm -hmm. how would I experience this? We need to have that degree of empathy. And there are a lot of particularly white male critics that just don't. It's true. It's very true. I'm, I'm pissed off about this, obviously. <laughs> but we're not pissed at you, Cinema Recall. Thank no, you for no, asking the question. So, yeah, I think that's a it's a good question. And I think it, it is something that people need to think about, uh, especially men need to think about it from from the female perspective. Sit down and think, OK, if this was if the genders were swapped on this, how would you feel? Or even a, just if this protagonist was a man how would you interpret this film? And I I think that that requires a bit more imagination than a lot of people are willing to give. So Um, I was, I was surprised that all four of us missed it. That very rarely happens. (laughs) It's true. But yeah, I I I just didn't get a chance either. So I do think it was one of those times that like, it didn't do very well. uh, And and it wasn't like playing for for an incredibly long time. Like even in New York, I think there there were very few theaters that were actually showing it. They yeah. we had about two days notice for our press screening before it got dropped, and I think I was it was really close to when I reviewed Mandy, and I was so oh, pissed off <laughs> about that movie. And I I had the Sundance associations because I'd heard the same people from the same festival going off about how brilliant both films were. And I just, Mandy was such a dumpster fire for me. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to move around my schedule for two days notice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally fair. Uh, Well, we have one more question. This is from James, right? At JKC Hart. Hey, Citizen Dames, anything y'all think I should be watching? I'm behind and I would love suggestions. So, yes, I think we do have (laughs) suggestions. Uh, Who wants to start? Bad Times at the El Royale. Go see it, (laughs) then go buy a ticket, and go see it again. (laughs) Nice. Uh, 
Definitely watch Maniac on Netflix. Hell yes. My mother has not finished Maniac, and I'm very upset because I cannot talk to her <laughs> about the ending. <laughs> I talked to two of my coworkers into watching it this this week, and one of them, every day, she's like, I'm going to go home tonight and binge it. I watched the first episode. I'm going to go home tonight and binge the rest. I can't wait. Yeah. And so every day, I've been like, so? And she's like, okay, I got through part of episode two. I'm like, do not speak to me until you have finished. Yeah, I told my mom, I'm all, you have to see it purely for Justin Thoreau in the third act. You have to. So it's true. so great. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Lauren, Kim, any others you want to throw out there? Uh, go ahead, Lauren. <laughs> all right uh, I'll, I'll say something um i've been i mean it's october so i've been watching a lot of horror films um just in general go on to like shutter because they have some great horror films for for this season that is that are like some of them are very surprising and so i i watched um i mentioned this a, a little while ago i watched hell house which is a great found footage horror film that just people began talking about it on Twitter. And I was like, Hmm, that sounds interesting. I'd kind of pass by it, but that's really good. That's, that's a little bit older. Um, in terms of the films that are, are coming out, if you can get to see Roma on a big screen, please do because it's a beautiful film and it's really, really aesthetically and, and it's just visually rich and seeing it on a big screen, I don't know how it's going to play. It's a Netflix film. I don't know how it's going to play on a smaller screen, but it's really worth trying to actually get out to see it on a big screen. Um, same thing with The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is going to be released on Netflix, I think, in November, but it's now it's getting a, a, a theater run. Again, if you can see it on a big screen, do it, because there's there's a, a, an intensity to just the landscapes and the use of color that is really, really excellent and and should should be experienced in a theater setting, I think. Yeah. Kim? Uh, I am actually really behind as well. I know things that I'm waiting on. Um, I, we get Daredevil season three in a couple weeks. Um, I've been waiting on bated breath for that since season two came out. Uh, Man in the High Castle has been, I'm such a bad little Rupert Evans fangirl. I haven't gotten to watching that yet. That's a big one for me. I have to echo Kristen with Bad Times at the El Royale is something I've seen and something that I'm planning on seeing again this weekend. I want to give that movie all my money. Yeah. I would. Nice. I would also say The Hate You Give. Yes. Yes. Uh, I still haven't seen that. Yeah, I would it's also. Good. It's um, really good. It doesn't come out till the end of the month, but prep for it. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I am almost done with the eight episodes that they gave me, and Ooh. I want to finish the rest of it because it is the feminist television show that we need right now. <laughs> nice. Yay! You awesome. said ne that's Netflix, yeah. right? Yep. And then um, a couple other things that are coming. So put that on your radar. Definitely, like uh, Lauren already mentioned, The Favorite. That's going to yeah. be coming in November. Watch it. It's so great. And also, Can You Ever Forgive Me? I got my screening invite for that. I'm trying to find somebody Oh my to go gosh, with I me. love it so much. I will drive to Sacramento and go with you. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not actually really going to do that. But... that. You liar, <laughs> So great. <laughs> it's oh man the next day so i went with um jazz from awards daily we were sitting together and the next day we saw a different movie that i'm not gonna man mention because i don't want to disparage it but it wasn't nearly as good and we both were like can we just go back to yesterday 
<laughs> like we just loved it so much. So, uh, yeah. All right. Any others you guys want to throw out? I think that okay. covers it for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that should be enough to get you started for the week anyway. So, right. <laughs> All right. So we had a couple of trailers. Let's talk first about, these are both films that are coming out in 2019, which just seems crazy. Cause like, how is it already going to be 2019? It's, we're living in the future, you guys. Um, so we got a teaser for Aladdin. It's um, and... certainly a teaser trailer. Um, yeah. It, it, Do you feel teased, though, really? Not really. It felt like this was all the footage they had on hand. Like, literally. <laughs> the they, had, they had exterior shots, establishing shots, and they had that guy who plays Latin for one day so far when they assembled this. Um, mm -hmm. It's colorful, you know? Um, there's a lot of sand. <laughs> There's a lamp. The Cave of Wonders looks pretty. Aladdin is a guy. I mean, you know, she's there. The, the basics, the foundation. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, if you had not told me this was a Guy Ritchie film, I honestly wouldn't have expected that because I would have expected Aladdin to come like striding in on a motorcycle in like a really badass suit saying fuck a lot. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> the fact that I didn't get that is, I'm assuming, a good sign for Disney. Um, I mean, I'm only seeing the Aladdin remake because A, it's an Aladdin remake, and B, it's got sexy Jafar. I mean, that's literally yes. it. That's literally <laughs> where. Where is sexy yeah, Jafar? I, watched, I, was like, <laughs> I literally watched that trailer. My mom and I were driving somewhere, and the trailer was over. She said, what were you watching? I'm all, I am so turned off by this movie because there was not nearly enough sexy Jafar in it. And if you want to sell this to me, sell that. Exactly. <laughs> like, give the, give the people Smith what they the want. We want sexy Jafar. Yeah, yeah exactly. The genie's fine. Okay, whatever. I want sexy Jafar. And honestly, all you need to give me with this movie is just gratuitous sexy Jafar. Okay, you know what? If you're gonna <laughs> revamp the movie, they already said they're adding shit in, like, like a best friend for Jasmine, so she's not so isolated living in her her house where they're gonna sell her off to the highest bidder, and then they're gonna give us Billy Magnuson as like this white basic prince because like Magnuson is the white guy. Like, okay, I guess we need a white guy. No, you know what we want? We want sexy Jafar. Cause never in my 30 years on this earth did I think I would ever say that. Okay. So <laughs> I just need to see it now. <laughs> so oh, Jafar, I just put up <laughs> Jafar put... is set to be sexy I mean like he's an evil wizard it's true he's, like, he's an evil wizard who enthralls people like yeah, come on that man to wait till 2019 is a travesty okay I, I am one of the weird people though that finds Conrad Veet in um, the Thief of Baghdad very sexy so I've just I'm just excited that I mean I'm I totally have no real opinion about the movie but I am looking forward to a song by Alan Menken and Pasek and Paul together so that could be interesting I just put up a poll uh, on Twitter <laughs> which Dame said of the Aladdin trailer it has sand <laughs> 
Santa. Not, no one has responded yet. Not enough sex in your far. Plenty of sand. And you know what we oh, need? Oh, someone sex responded. Far they think it was on that sand. Okay, that's what I want. <laughs> that's what you want. Yeah. What the world wants. Okay. Uh, I don't think that's what Disney wants. Well, that's because Disney's a bunch of old crusty white guys. Okay. You know how like we have to give the world a coke. We have to give the world sexy Jafar because we need it right now. We need it. <laughs> we have to wait till May twenty fourth um, to get it. <laughs> All right. So we also had a trailer. We had a few trailers, but there's not that many that were worth talking about. But we do have another one, which is Pet Cemetery, and I think that we all had kind of very different reactions on this. Stop trying Kristen. to make Jason Clark a thing. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. Fair. <laughs> it's never going to. He happen. is 2019's fetch. Okay, it's never gonna happen. <laughs> Stop it. Um, he was very good in Mudbound. I'm just gonna oh, say that. Yeah, but yeah. um, yeah, he is. Yeah, but uh, Kristen, I know that the original Pet Cemetery is one of uh, is one of your favorite horror movies. It is. You have strong opinions on it so why don't you talk first okay so um i've been following this since they announced it and i've had issues with it since they've announced it um and i'm not the only one april wolf of switchblade sisters podcast um was talking about this the other day when the trailer dropped about how it was a little disappointing at the erasure of the fact that the original was directed by mary lambert and how when they remade it they got two dudes and that was my big problem just from the get-go. Um, and I immediately had a bunch of men saying, oh, this green television show they do and this movie that they did is really good. Give them a chance. I, I live in a world where, again, movies, that the few movies that had women directors are now being remade with men directors. So it doesn't matter quality at this point. It just irritates me. So that was my first immediate problem. Watching the trailer for this... I was a little confused by how much of this is going to be a remake of the 1980s film and what's going to be a remake of the book. The tone of this was incredibly different um, with like the little kids drumming, going out into the woods. The fact that they're emphasizing that the woods are evil and in the original movie, I've not read the book, so I don't know the context, but the original movie was, it wasn't the woods in the cemetery that was evil. It was, the Micmac burial grounds behind all that. So I'm a wondering if we're going to change it to not make it evil Native American burial ground and just make it evil woods. And if it's going to turn into the evil dead, I'm not really into that. Um, and yeah, Jason Clark, he's not Dale Midkiff. Dale Midkiff wasn't a great actor, okay? But he was pretty and he worked. He, he was pretty. Okay, so it was fine. Um, the cast really doesn't seem to be doing anything for me. Um... And John Lithgow, he's John Lithgow. He's great. But it's going to be really hard to beat Fred Gwynn. I mean, really yeah. hard. And the fact that Zelda's being played by a woman in this movie. Um, I know people had issues in the 80s version because it was a guy. Um, but I think that that's what made it disturbing. And, I, I mean, again, that bar is going to be hard to cross. Because Zelda is the f most frightening thing I've ever encountered in my life. So, yeah, I have... I have a lot of issues with this uh, going in. Who else wants to? Uh, well, I I just watched like literally last night the um, 
the original Pet Cemetery film, which I quite liked in, in some ways. I have read the book. I read the book ages ago. Uh, and based upon my memory, and, and again, having read it many, like a long time ago, based upon my memory, the, the, the 1989 film does pretty much what the book does. You know, it probably shortens things a good bit. But, um, but you know, it hits all, all of the correct, the correct notes. One of the things that really disappointed me about, about the trailer was, was that, you know, the, the line that Fred Gwynn speaks, uh, um, Sometimes dead is better. Yes, but it's the accent too. Sometimes dead is better. You know, it's like this, it's almost this performance of Fred Gwynn doing an impression of Kate Pepper. Yeah, um, yeah. Imagine. Uh, and and I, I liked that, but then when John Lithgow said it, I was like, oh, <laughs> like where's where's the sort of overemphasized main accent? I really want that. Uh, it looks fine. It could be really creepy. Um, I would be interested to see how they do it. One of the things that bothered me both about the book and about uh, the nineteen eighty nine film was how hard these people have to work to create zombie children, and. <laughs> At each turn, I was like, this is the worst possible idea. What is wrong with you? Uh, and so, so true. So my problem, my problem was I didn't completely buy the fact that, that this father is like so consumed with grief that he makes these, the choices that he does. Uh, so if the, if the new film can correct that, maybe. But I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm, I'm generally skeptical about this. I... I have to echo that it was fine. And it's, that's actually really funny if you watched the original Last Night, Lauren, because I actually did the exact same thing. Yeah. And, so I have that kind of in my head more. I watched the trailer before I watched the original. I kind of, I pretty much echo everything you say. I mean, what kind of, I, I hate to say it, it's really a minor point all things considered but that jason clark casting throws me watching kind of last night the only thing that for me that arc that that whole kind of plot is so unbelievable that knowing everything that happens the father character still does everything that he does but adorable little dale mitkiff had that wide-eyed young you could i could almost get him as a grief-stricken father going oh no this will be different this time I don't know if I could see that with Jason Clark and it's, I, uh, and then uh, John Lithgow. Oh, but it's, I have a soft spot in my heart for Fred Gwynn. So I, I this is a remake. I kind of think of, does it really, does it really need to happen? Uh, but I'll check it out, but I'm not hopeful. All I know is that they should just decide to reuse the original theme song from the 80s version. Do not try to redo <laughs> the Ramones, okay? Because you're not the Ramones. They're going to get fucking Fallout Boy probably to sing this song. And no, I don't want that. I just reuse. If you reuse anything, just reuse the song from the movie. Thank you. <laughs> um, personally, I liked what I saw in the trailer I'm gonna be the one that is like yeah this looks good I agree that I am very annoyed and frustrated and a little bit mad that this is being directed by two dudes when the original is directed by a woman and there's no reason for that um but overall I thought the the film itself looked you know sufficiently creepy I liked the tone that it seemed that they were going for there were little things in it where I was just like ooh like when the 
kids are by the street and the truck comes barreling by because you know like oh like if you've seen the original movie or read the book you know what that means and so I just yeah overall I was like yeah this looks good I will definitely be checking that out so I'm way more excited for the It sequel but yeah it comes out I I do for that dang it I did just want to say one of the things I really liked about the 1989 film was that there was a good bit of humor in it. Mm -hmm. Such a dark story. There were actually moments of levity and moments of like, and there's some grotesque humor, but there's also just some like jokes. Yeah. And I liked that. And I'm a little bit worried based upon the trailer that this is just going to be dark, 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 dark. Which, but you know what though? I thought that it was going to be that way and it wasn't. It was actually true, true. much funnier than I was expecting. So I'm hoping that, I mean, it's hard to know what they're going to do from just the trailer. So I'm, I'm hoping that it will have the right balance. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, that comes out in 2019. Do we have a date for that? We'll I didn't look it. it up. All right. So there you go. Uh, okay. So we all saw some movies this week. Let's start with uh, Lauren. Why don't you briefly yell (laughs) about A Star is Born? Yes. I've been looking forward to this all All week. I'm going to join in on that because I didn't get to review it last week either. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, so, you know, Kristen and, and Kim talked about this. This last last week and I uh, I finally got to go see Star is Born. Um, I thankfully got to use Movie Pass on A Star is Born because I would have been very, very angry uh, <laughs> if I had actually paid for that fucking ticket. Um, I will say, good, good points. Lady Gaga is amazing. And I think that she gives a great performance for what she's given. And I think that, and particularly the moments, the moments when she sings, and by singing, I don't just mean like singing duets with Bradley Cooper, but when she actually just lets her voice go and you really get the full power of her voice, it's spectacular. And those were the few moments in this film that actually choked me up and that made me feel like this is, this is moving, right? This is like, this is like watching Judy Garland. This is like watching these, these women who are just so spectacular. Which made the movie in some ways like that much worse for me because it is all about Bradley Cooper and Bradley Cooper's ego and Bradley Cooper being a whining white boy who just absolutely has to have control over all this. I said it on Twitter that, um, you know, he spends, he keeps on saying, his character keeps on saying to her, you have so much to say, you should say, don't let anybody tell you how, how to say what you have to say. And then she goes off and she sings and he's like, no, that's not what I mean. You need to, no, don't say it like that. (laughs) Yeah. Say it like this. No, no, no. Let me show you how you should say it. Uh, and, and the thing was that the film, the film could have interrogated that. And, uh, there were a few moments where I was like, maybe they're going to like actually look into this about the degree of control that men in general have had over this woman's life. And her introduction is her basically being like, fuck men, you know? Uh, but the rest of the film is essentially, all, all it does is reinforce the fact that he's right. And that he should have control over her at some level. So much of it is is gaslighting and stalking. And I couldn't get over the moment that is presented as being this wonderful, romantic, you know, uh, ex- explosion for her. 
when he walks on stage and he says to her, I'm going to sing your song, whether, whether you do or not. And I was sitting there going like, did he just, just steal the song that she wrote? Mm -hmm. Did he just like decide as this performer that, Hey, I, I'm this incredibly famous dude. I'm just going to sing this woman's song, this woman that I just met. I'm just going to sing her song and I'm going to invite her on stage. But if she doesn't want to do it, I'm still going to sing it. And that really well, bothered they me. They also just include like, that he stole Sam Elliott's song, right? Or is that not? I was not um, at all clear on that situation. Yeah, he kept on saying that he stole his voice. And the way that I interpreted that was that he he was um, actually doing an impression of like, Sam Elliott. What the hell does that even? Yeah, mean? I was like, wait, so yeah. did he like steal st like his ideas or something, or is it like a metaphor? I, it's he was. See, I thought he was a musician first, yeah, and that's, I was yeah, wondering that's... if my thought was it was he had to stop to help raise Bradley Cooper's character after all of but how do you steal someone's parents, voice so unless you're Ursula the Sea Witch? <laughs> yeah, like I think Bradley like, Cooper really lost up. that when he wrote that his dad was 63 and his mom was 18 when they had him, so. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That, that was very creepy. I, I just, like, the movie enraged me, and it made me, first of all, I got bored halfway through, but it made me angrier the longer it went on because it had all of these opportunities to undercut the sort of male entitlement and the male's self-pity that was going on throughout for all of the male characters, not just the Bradley Cooper character, but, but particularly him, because he's he's really the star of the show. It's not really about her. Uh, and it never undercut that. It never was like, you know, she is better, she is smarter, she's more talented, and she actually deserves to be in the position that she is, even up until the ending of the film, where it still all has to be about him. She will never escape from him. And the film never, the film makes that romantic. The film makes this positive in some way, that this is, you know, this is a wonderful experience for her and it's gonna shape the rest of her life. Yeah, in a really fucked up manner. And the film never interrogates that. I, I just, I was just so mad by the time I walked out of that film. And I was just like, Bradley Cooper, shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, like, I like him and I thought that he did fine. I thought he was pretty good in it. But the movie itself and the story itself just made me so angry. And thinking about the fact that the gender politics of A Star is Born were so much better committed to screen in 1937 than in 2018 just pissed me off so yeah, bad yeah. <laughs> so yeah I don't even know what what more to say about this that hasn't already been said but it just I I do like some of the music I when when she comes out on stage and starts singing La Vie en Rose, I was just like, oh my gosh. Like, mm -hmm. I just melted into a puddle. I was just like, I yeah. love this. I need this version of this song. It was amazing. Um, and a lot of the music I thought was really great. But I overall, I thought the story was very weak. It was very... Um, so many things were glossed over that shouldn't have been. The fact that there was an entire, like, three days spent on trying to just figure, on Twitter, trying to figure out where she lives because the geography made zero sense. <laughs> it was just like, this movie is just, this, it went through too many hands and had too many just, like, 
random edits and changes and apparently the original cut was like three hours long and they edited it down to two two fifteen or so and i think that that they can use that as an excuse as to why the narrative falls apart so completely and totally in the second half but i'm sorry this just is not it's not a great film and i'm really tired of people saying how wonderful it is and the fact that and i said this on another podcast but the fact that people are treating this like such a beautiful love tragedy story is really troubling to Mm -hmm. me and we can't yeah we can't celebrate toxic relationships like this and that's i think that's my biggest uh my biggest frustration with the film overall is that it feels like it's it doesn't feel like it's condemning it and i know some people have said no you're not supposed to look at it that way but i feel like bradley cooper told us to look at it that way like it's this beautiful tragedy like romeo and juliet or something and i just no Mm-mm, it's not. How do you yeah. how do you look at that scene in the bathtub in any other way than something deeply troubling that never gets resolved? What is I? It's yeah, why I, you, she should have walked out right then and there. It's why I you mean, need that I, scene from the fifty four film. It's why you need yeah. it. And I know Lindsay Romaine, uh, another writer and critic, also was talking about how. The, the movie needs that moment from the 54 if you've seen it there's a moment where judy garland's character explains why she stays and why she tries so hard and and it's a utterly heartbreaking moment it always makes me cry where she lays out you know he tries he does try but i hate him for failing and i hate me because i failed and and it's just this really great stream of conscious monologue where she lays out the nature of codependency and the nature of mm-hmm. wanting to fix someone that can't be fixed. And there's no moment for that. Not only does it give Garland's character, you know, that if you didn't feel the movie was about her already, you get that extra layer of nuance to their relationship. So you need that in a movie that I'm going to say it does not feel it's not Gaga's story. It is Bradley Cooper's no, story. Sorry, no. So Completely. to not give her a scene yeah. where she lays out why I'm, you know, not a doormat because I'm staying because of this, you know, it just looks like she's the the muse. And I love that Bradley Cooper takes umbrage um, with people telling him, you know, asking him about, oh, the concept of woman as muse. Well, that's what you're doing because you don't give her any sequence where she explains why she's staying, whether it's because of the fame, whether it's because yeah. of him, whether it's because of anything. Whether it's because she isn't in the house. I mean, I would have loved just some some nuance and some discussion into why she is staying with a man who obviously treats her bad. Even if there's no explanation. Even if she she laid out, I don't know why I stay. I don't know why I put up with this. That would have been something. Yeah. Yeah. As an inv- People have said that this is like a, a really good investigation of addictive relationships and, and being in a relationship with an addict. And I don't think that that's fair. First of all, it's incredibly shallow in terms of that. It's not, there's no emotional, there's no emotional depth to that. Like I, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And, And particularly when he begins insulting her music, one of the things that really bothered me about some of the plot of this film, and I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but the, it, it definitely uses Gaga's persona as, as kind of a, a marker in the film. Mm -hmm. But it uses it as a marker of 
authenticity versus inauthenticity. Yeah. And one of the things that he accuses her of, and that the film never undercuts, again, it's this issue of not so much that, it, that the plot point exists, but that the film never actually looks into it in any critical way, is it never undercuts the idea that he has defined what is authentic and what is inauthentic. His music is authentic in his view. Her music, the choice that she, the choices that she makes when she becomes this pop persona, um, is inauthentic, right? She puts on the makeup, she dyes her hair, she change she changes her appearance, she changes the kind of music that she produces. But it seems to be the kind of music that she actually wants to do, and to then tie that into Lady Gaga as a performer, right? Who produces this kind of music, you know, listen to any of her albums, go to any of her stage shows. This is what she specializes in. This is what she does. And this is where her authenticity lies. To then basically say that this is inauthentic and cheap music and to never question that is really fucking insulting to her as an artist. And the fact that she seems okay with that is weird to me. Well, and that's why I wonder if if there there maybe there is more on the cutting room floor maybe there is more of who her character is maybe this wasn't even something that she saw as being you know or maybe it is part of the the dynamic you know she started out as a performer as playing in the village yeah um as like not being this huge pop performer but she's become this huge pop performer uh yeah i i don't know how to interpret the fact that she continued to participate in this film given the, the plot arc but apparently they even filmed some stuff at one of her concerts so really yeah i'm not sure what and i'm not sure if any of it made it into the movie but yeah apparently one of the shows she did i think here in la they actually filmed stuff for the movie so yeah anyway um so that's the star is born yay um <laughs> Let's hold, Kristen, let's hold the hate you give for next week because it goes to wide release next oh, Friday. Okay. So let's do that. But do you want to talk briefly about House on Haunted Hill? Yes. So I watched. Or The Haunting of House. Hill House? It, Which it, one is the, it? The House know. on Haunted Hill. Um, okay. Or it's The Haunting of Hill House. Excuse me. I'm never going <laughs> to get this right. These movies need to work on that. So The Haunting of Hill House. There it is. <laughs> I'm never going to get the two uh, to disengage from each other. So, yeah, we're just going to work with the new scary show on Netflix that came out on Friday. There we go. We're just going to call it that. Uh, so this is the the based on the Shirley Jackson novel, remade in 60, uh, made in 63, um, and then remade in 99. So I've seen the both versions of the film and I've read the book. I knew this was not going to be the book. I did not realize it was going to be what it is. So I enjoyed what I enjoyed of the, the haunting of Hill house. I enjoyed a lot. What I didn't enjoy, I was really annoyed with. So I called this, and I think there's a, a review that actually calls it this. It's, this is a spooky edition. Wherein, <laughs> wherein you, you jump through time a lot. You go back and forth then and now, um, and and mostly deal with the the children who grew up in Hill House, um, which by the way, all all the characters from the novel are condensed into one family, so they are all related. Um, 
And so mm-hmm. the the show just becomes how they've all grown up in the shadow of Hill House and how it's fucked them up. So one of them is an addict. One of them is a control freak. One of them is a, you know, uh, they, they all have these problems. And when it was about those problems, I did not care. Um, when it was going back in time to whatever undisclosed moment in time, I'm not sure if this is supposed to be set in the present or the future, but I'm assuming that it's set in, that when it goes back in time to when they were kids, it's the late 80s, maybe, early 90s. Um, when it goes back to that time, it actually shows them spending however much time they've spent in Hill House. Again, a lot of it is ill-defined. I was into it. The child stars were fantastic. Uh, Carla Giugino is freaking flawless. That woman is fantastic in the show. She's utterly gorgeous in the costumes they give her. Um, she's got Veronica Lake hair going. It's amazing. Um, I'd say watch it for her performance alone. Um, Henry Thomas is really good as the younger incarnation of the dad who grows up to be Timothy Hutton. I don't understand how that works, but whatever. Um, so when it, I was invested in it when it was actually talking about Hill House and the weird shit that happens. Um, when it flashes forward to when they're adults, I did not care. Um, the jumps, they're, they're, it's a pretty much heavily reliant on jump scares and not necessarily atmosphere which is all the book and all the original 63 films. So I felt that was a little upsetting, although there are some effective jump scares. And I really was turned off by the fact that the book was written by a woman and they turned the author into a character. So there's a character named Shirley in the show. Um, But the lead, the protagonist, the person you would consider the hero, or at least the voice of, of the narrative that we see is a man. So the oldest brother, played by Michelle Huseman, plays the son who has written a book called The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, he didn't. Yeah, oh. and so the, the opening that. and the ending of the, the show are told from his point of view. He's the one left with the secrets of the house. And I was just like, that's bullshit. You know, this is How this was a they? landmark feminist text. You have two women... And, and Elizabeth Reeser and, and uh, Kate Siegel are fantastic in this. And I feel they're undercut. And Kate Siegel is Mike Flanagan's wife. How does she get undercut in the show? Um, so I was, I was disappointed. But when it works, it's fantastic. So I feel like you, it is worth your time. But really temper your expectations. The the critics saying this is the scariest thing. This is the best. I I think if you if you know Jackson's work and you know the original film, it's not gonna be what you want it to be. I'm oh. like, I'm offended. <laughs> I know, like you you saying that that they they filter this through a male perspective just really pisses me off because both the the book is written by a woman and the the main yep. character of the book is a woman. And keep in mind, most of the... This is about Most femininity. of the female characters are delineated into crazy or just kind of, like, cold and guarded. Wow. Hmm. Seriously? Yeah. I mean, they're all great actresses. They all give great performances. But for a 10-episode series, I really wanted some nuance. I will tell you, this did not need to be 10 episodes. This could have been a two-hour film. Screw that. Oh, man. No. Fuck, fuck that. 
Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to other things. Um, so there are a couple movies out in theaters. Hold this on, week Karen. That, we, we, um... we're, you're going digital on us again. Okay, okay is that yeah, better? It's yeah. Yes. It's okay. I figured out the problem. I had a website open and it was causing interference, so I can't do that. Okay. Um, anyway, so there were a couple movies out this week that are new in theaters. And let's start... Let's have Kim talk with the first man. Let's start with first... Yeah, I was going to say, let's start with first man. So, um... How many of did... us have seen it, too? I saw it. I haven't yeah. seen it yet. Oh. I haven't seen it. Okay, so Kim, you go first, and then I'll jump in. Okay. Um, so I will start out. Uh, we were... <sighs> have a hard place where to start out with this i enjoyed this or i enjoyed is a hard word for this film um i thought this was i gave this a very good very solid review i said on chat a while back uh, damien chazelle somehow knows exactly how to push my emotional buttons um i think i've talked about it on this podcast before when I screened La La Land the first time in theaters, I think I started crying at the first kind of use of the Technicolor logo and I didn't stop until the ending credits. Something that he does just manage to manages to emotionally wreck me. And this one does the exact same thing, which really kind of surprised me because I was kind of coming in going, okay, how are you guys going to do this story? there's not a lot of drama with Neil Armstrong. We know this. And I mean, in that respect, Ryan Gosling is actually perfect casting because there's not a lot of drama there. I, every kind of creative choice they made with this surprised me. And I just, I found it very deliberate. I found it very interesting and I found the construction very fascinating. I mean, the first thing I kind of thought of as I was watching, I had kind of preconceived la la land notions i was kind of expecting your usual glitzy kind of glamorous space movie i mean we've seen tons of these in the past and i think of apollo 13 that kind of nostalgia tinged kind of hollywoodized space movie and chazelle's shooting style throughout the entire thing is so different than what i was expecting down from a, um, kind of camera textures and color palettes that for me very felt like they were coming straight out of this straight out of the late 60s kind of the mid 60s late 60s shot they're not afraid to be grainy with shots uh, you know the clothes are kind of that style that you know that the clo you know the shots are of those colors that you know your grandpa probably had that color shirt in the mid seven you know the, that era and it was just it wasn't that but it you know wasn't the glamorized style that i was expecting kind of based on those trailers and down to i was kind of really curious about and where everybody was getting thriller kind of there's this discussion of tension this discussion of thriller and it kind of ties in with what i found the strength of this i found it a very strong character drama and how they shot the various flight sequences, the various action sequences. Don't go see this film on a big screen if you're in any way sensitive to that stuff. I found myself almost motion sick in times. They, 
the cutting, the action, it's it's frenetic, it's fury, it's cut in such a way that you're there. They're really trying to build this identification with Armstrong and these characters based on why you're there. And I found that absolutely fascinating how he did that because I I know I hadn't seen sequences like that in other films. There are plenty that I haven't seen, but I know this was kind of a new one on me. And then moving on to the other thing that really stuck with me is the, the emotionality, I guess, through restraint throughout the entire film. Um, Cause I was kind of, I was waiting, I'm going, I know I'm going to ugly cry in this somewhere. I kind of really saved it towards the end, but using the gender dynamics kind of of the period kind of want i drew a kind of a conclusion to a or it, i connected to a lot of other films i have seen that kind of built around tension very deliberate these characters are saying so much in the fact that they're not saying anything claire foy is probably the best i've ever seen her i would have liked to have seen more of her but even what she shows on screen, I thought was absolutely gorgeous. And if she doesn't get an awards nomination for this, I'm going to be truly not pleased. Um, the dynamics between her character and Gosling's character and everything that they are dealing with throughout the scope of the scope of the film was fascinating. Kind of how they build these two as a young couple, as where they go to mentally to him being kind of an absent parent her having to step up and parents and how they can't truly connect. And I thought that was so beautiful and how it climaxes. I won't give any spoilers to that, but then the use of kind of this prevailing feeling of restraint throughout, I thought it builds such a fascinating dynamic between all of these characters and then wrapping up with, just the shooting of the moon landing we all know is going to happen i was i was a mess by the end of this movie i thought i thought it was absolutely gorgeous oh dear <laughs> <laughs> um rip it apart karen okay. rip it apart uh i don't want to shit on anything that you just said kim i will say that this is what i i agree with um, <laughs> the, here's the one thing I agree with. <laughs> no, no. I think it on was the, a movie. <laughs> it was. It was a movie and there was space in it. There was not actually God jazz. God damn it. Are you um, saying it was jazzy? Like I said, it was a it jazzy was not Are jazz. you saying, it was a Karen, standard. Karen it was Peterson, jazz. are you saying he does not step out of the lunar module with a saxophone and sing the do the sax solo from Baker Street. Are you saying that doesn't happen? I might have felt something a little more if he had. God you know? damn you, Shazelle! Um, <laughs> Here's what I am going to say, though. Uh, so this movie, the technical aspects of it, the production design, the costumes, the visual effects, the sound design, all incredible. Shazelle is good at that. You know, he he makes technically proficient movies that are, are really well constructed. And I felt that way about La La Land and Whiplash both as well. Like, they're really well constructed movies. My problem, and it's funny hearing Kim talk about him being, you know, getting to her emotionally. My problem is that 
he does not connect to me emotionally at all. And now, after three films, I have to just accept that this is just something that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, he doesn't make the kind of films that connect to me on an emotional level. And this is actually, I think, the easiest way for me to point out some of those things is is in First Man. Because, like you don't really get to know who anybody is except Neil and Janet. And even then you don't really get to know them. You see them a lot. Everything is told through his eyes, really sort of mostly, but you don't get to know who he is as a person. You never get an exploration of what he really thinks or feels about any, anything or anybody. It starts off with this family tragedy, which uh, I will say that that carries through to the end and that does lead to some emotional things. And there is something that happens that did get to me. I never actually cried and I am an easy mark to make cry in a movie. And his movies just don't do that for me. And this one was one of them. But there was something that, that was really beautifully done in this. But overall, like, I don't even know what the name of both of his boys are. I know one of them is Ricky and I can't even remember if that's the older one or the younger one. And then the other astronauts, it's like half the time, like the only ones that they ever say by name are Ed White, Gus Grissom and Buzz Aldrin. The rest are just kind of thrown in. It's like, you've got people like Lucas Hawes and uh, I can't even remember who else was there now. And they're basically extras. They did Michael Collins a big disservice. I will say they did. Did oh my gosh! I was really upset I about felt that. For poor Michael Collins. Well, now I'm yeah. just happy well, John Bernthal like... dropped out. Okay, because I would have been really yeah. pissed. <laughs> that's the thing. Everybody in this movie that's not Ryan Gosling or Claire Foy is basically an extra. Or fucking Jason Clark. Some of them. <laughs> right. But even he is like, he is such a down like down totem pole supporting character it's like and and that was actually one of the things that really bothered me so this movie goes through and starts off when in his days when he was a test pilot pilot out here in california and then it like goes through when he gets selected for the astronaut program and checks off some of the you know some of the stopping points along the way where they were testing the gemini because that's what he got originally hired on for so they have the gemini 4 stuff they have the apollo 8 or no sorry the uh gemini 8 thing that happened and then it has Apollo 1 and then it gets into Apollo 11 and so like I think most people know I don't think this is a spoiler but most people know what happened with the Apollo 1 but the way that the people are introduced when you get to that point I didn't feel anything I felt more watching Apollo 13 listening to Tom Hanks talk about what had happened than actually watching it happen on screen and that was really frustrating for me because that should have been this really emotionally powerful moment. And because everything is told through Neil Armstrong's eyes and he's presented as this very detached person, he's, his emotions are very repressed for a lot of reasons, mostly because it's the time period. But because of that, I didn't feel like I didn't know. How does he actually feel about this? You know, is he sad? Is he mad? Is he just more determined? Like, I never really got that sense. And and so overall, I felt that this was very disconnected emotionally. Um, 
except for one significant piece. And I'm sure Kim knows what I'm talking about, but I don't want to give it away because it's not something that I knew about. And I think that it's something that people should get. If that's what I'm thinking of that, I, that I was a mess by that point. That, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it is. So I, I, as, as this came to an end, I've been discussing kind of crying in movies with a friend beforehand and she had been discussed she goes she talking been talking about crying cues kind of what's your crying cues in film and I was like I don't you know I don't know I never really thought about that she looks at me at the end of the film she goes I know what your crying cue is I said well what is that she goes Damien Chazelle (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny um yeah, I also want to co-sign, though, on what Kim said about the large screen. Like, if you're sensitive to motion, like to, you know, seeing big motion on screen, be careful, be careful this on one. this one. There were times that I had to look away because I just, my brain could not focus on what was happening on screen because it was so jumpy. The cinematography in this movie, that's the one side of the technical stuff that just I did not like. And it actually made me angry a couple times. And like, I don't think they use Steadicam at all at any point in this. And I don't know if they're trying to make it, you know, give it kind of this home movie feel to it I'm not sure if that's what they're going for or not but uh like there were just times where they're using the handheld for no apparent reason like Claire Foy marches across the street to go talk to a neighbor and it's just bouncing all over the place and I'm like why is this uh, on handheld right now there's no reason for that See, <laughs> so I just things like very... that just made me mad those the action sequences particularly I actually felt myself getting anxious Mm-hmm. And in with how Chazelle cut that and just how it was all edited together, I, I was getting tight. You know, I was feeling tightly wound. I was feeling anxious, and I felt like that was a very deliberate choice. And oh yeah, definitely. It was. It was. I like I said, I was incredibly. While it bothered me, and I had to look away, I was intrigued by that decision, and I was really applaud Chazelle for that. I think that. I, I think I wouldn't have minded, especially the, the Gemini sequence, I wouldn't have minded how bouncy it was, God, except for that it just went on for <laughs> so long. So that And the movie did feel long. I The script kind of construction, I get why they had to cover so much time. It made sense kind of writing-wise in my head, but that did lead to A, that what two hours and 20 minute runtime which does towards the end of that start to feel a bit long in the tooth but i don't know how framing it how they did with that family tragedy i don't know how you necessarily change that so kind of echoing throughout what i've said i i get it and i like everything that it did but yeah there are some definite flaws with that that if they would have thought through and made that if they could have developed things more i think it could have hit even harder for me I just wish that they'd spent some time letting us get to know the other astronauts. I think that would have that would have fixed at least forty percent of the problem. I, I wish there movie. had been jazz on the fucking moon. Okay, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. Or that. Um, yeah. So there you go. First man. Uh, technical marvel. It's definitely going to get nominated for a bunch of Oscars, and some of them it will even deserve. So there you go. Um, 
So I was supposed to see Battle... Ba I keep saying Battle! Why do I keep saying Battle? Bad times with El Royale last night, but a friend called, and so I ditched those plans. I'm going to see it today. But you have a bad Kim friend. and okay. Kristen. <laughs> yeah, bad friend. I have a friend whose dad has cancer, okay? Oh, no. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I can't <laughs> come back from that. No, I can't. <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes you just have to sacrifice Hemsworth's abs for your friend. So I did that, but I'm going to make it up to him today. You're a good friend. So thank you. Uh, but you too saw it and please regale us with the joy. Okay. So full disclosure, we are not going to go in depth because we are actually going to do a whole we bonus are. episode mm -hmm. on this. Because this deserves uh, it. Hey, yes, it <laughs> deserves it on, nu on numerous levels, not just because of Hemsworth. I, I would say it had numerous issues, uh, numerous things worth discussing um so i've seen this twice now i'm not convinced i won't go see it a third time probably because <laughs> yes. i kind of need to um so the movie the trailer i will say is doing a, a really good job of not giving away a lot of stuff um but the plot in a nutshell is you have a bunch of strangers that show up at this hotel on the california and nevada border it's essentially the count leva uh, if you know anything about Frank Sinatra. Yes. And um, dark shit happens. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it's just discount Tarantino. Tarantino, who is also making both the, both this and that, are set in, uh, uh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is, are set in 69. I guarantee you Tarantino's film will not have the nuance and the subtext and the layering of stuff that Drew Goddard puts out with this movie. Um... You know, Drew, if you watch Cabin in the Woods, Drew Goddard really likes the concept of, like, predetermined... Are, are we... Do we have free will, or is life just a really rigged game by a sadistic god? Um, and that's that's kind of what he does here. Um, there's a lot of really great stuff, if you know the history of what was going on in the late 60s. Um, so I love that. I love a movie that makes me, like, think historically. Um, the cast in this is fantastic. Jeff Bridges finally doesn't have to do his guttural cowboy voice and like it's to act and he's really good i forgot how good he once was <laughs> um cynthia arrivo if you don't think she is fantastic already get on that train now because she is amazing and this movie is vaguely a musical because she gets to sing a lot which yes. i was so in love with she has the voice of an angel um dakota johnson is my girl crush i love her in this um, everybody's good. I know Kim Lewis Pullman is, is so good. <laughs> Diamond in the rough right there. Um, but Hemsworth is like on another level. Um, full disclosure, he is not in all of the movie. So prep accordingly. Um, regardless, the movie is good enough that it does not need him necessarily. He is just the cherry on the most delicious cake in the world. Um... <laughs> There is just so much that I appreciate about his performance, and not just the abs, but the performance. Um, like, I, I know a lot of people have said that he's channeling Brad Pitt in California, which is true-ish. He's channeling Brad Pitt if Brad Pitt was in both Thelma and Louise and California at the same time, um, which is fantastic. On so many levels, he's like, he's funny, he's frightening. Drew Goddard knows the female gaze because it is just like 
objectifying him for the entirety of the movie. Um, and there is, if you thought the gif was great, <laughs> the, the scene is better. The scene is better. The scene has pie and deep purple, and it's fucking amazing. Um, so I'm in love with this movie. I'm in love with this movie on a multitude of different ways, and it's just amazing. Yes, it's long, but really that is incidental. Its, it's length is necessary, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you all are crying, we're crying over what, however long Django Unchained was, you can't complain about this. Um, this, this movie I think is, is so smart, so incisive. Fucking Crips Hemsworth is amazing. Um, did I mention, like, he just, like, pole vaulted to number one on my list (laughs) as of Tuesday. I literally looked at my friend after that movie and I was like, if he was Jim Jones, I'd be all Kool-Aid for everybody. It's all good. The man could be dipped in cocaine and I would be an addict in 10 seconds. Um, so Scientology, um, I'm just saying, like, that's the dude you get. I'm just not saying you should, but I'm just saying that's Please the leave dude. Chris Hemsworth alone. <laughs> I want to say somebody described him as if Charles Manson was a Hemsworth. (laughs) I I support all of that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, obviously other people are just all thinking we all have mass uh, Hemsworth Manson hysteria. So, yeah. um, Kim. uh, He's he's something else. (laughs) Um, Kim, what what did you think? I have to echo absolutely all of that from i just first of all just how fucking gorgeous it is i'm as oh yeah a, and we're not talking hemsworth set design oh, set too design. is excellent i would live in that hotel i mean as a sucker for all things vintage that was i mean and i also i stayed at the calneval once so that, damn you oh god it was it pisses me off that it's being torn down and renovated now but i've stayed there once and that is why i've been so ready for this film it just that that hotel felt like such a time capsule for the 60s and that was exactly what they pulled off in this you know i'm a lover of all things from that era and from the set design to that amazing soundtrack that you get to hear that was one of the best soundtracks i'd say i'd ever i've ever heard based on i mean down to recordings and even you know the darlene character all the songs she sings uh hemsworth was absolutely flawless um i I was uh, talking to some male critics after the fact and i know they were saying and i partially see it there would have there was such an opportunity to make him a little there was such an undercurrent of menacing there i could almost wanted to see maybe a little bit more with the character but it wasn't anything i thought of during the film i he just brought such a magnetism to that part and just uh, echoing it kind of as a character drama you know bridges as always is his you know he he's he's damn good and this was i think this is the best i've seen him in a long time um dakota johnson that character i wanted more almost there she if this is a hint towards what she can do now that she's free from 50 shades of gray i am stoked uh um baby pullman lewis pullman i thought (laughs) 
I mean, aside from even the weird moments where it's like, yeah, your dad was my first crush and you look oddly like him in some places. I just wanted to hug him throughout the entire film. He is so good kind of in that. I mean, maybe it's those adorable little eyes that he is so good in kind of those quiet moments and he's so sympathetic and so likable. And there's so much going on with that character, which kind of all comes together in the end. Uh, and how did, Cynthia, how did you say her last name, Kristen? Arrivo? Arrivo. She is stunning. I did not, I was not familiar with her to start this film. She was definitely the newcomer for me. And I want to see more. I'm, she was absolutely stunning in this film. Her little speech that I will probably talk about more in. Yes, the, so timely. Uh, bonus episode. It was like, you go girl. And just, she is, she's the heart of that film and it works so well. I came out of this movie saying it purged all other movies from my memory and I'm sticking to that. I've enjoyed every minute of it. I I will say just to throw out the what Hemsworth one more time. If you think he cannot act, which you should by this point, um but if you think he can't, everything in the everything he does in this movie is either frightening or hilarious or hilariously frightening. <laughs> Like, he has dialogue in this movie that is incredibly humorous. And the way he says, hey, buddy, is fantastic. Um, it's up there with, like, Colin Farrell saying, hey, guy, in a Fright Night. It's just, like, <laughs> it shouldn't exist, but it's great. Um, and there is a line of dialogue in this movie that he says where I literally looked at my friend. I was like, just stab me in the heart right now. I'm done. It's, it's, that's it. He wins. Um, forever. So yeah, um, it's great. Oh. It's great. Uh, I can't wait. It's great. <laughs> so excited. I can't wait for the I bonus episode because it. yeah, I want to. I want to talk more yes, about it because it's to. awesome. All right, so that's gonna wrap up our stuff this week. Um, what's everyone doing in the coming week? Um, I think I have to go see Halloween this week. Have to what? My mom Get wants to. to go. I'm not big on the franchise, but my mom is very excited. So I'm there for Jimmy. I've got Halloween on tap too. Awesome. Uh, Lauren, anything you got? Uh, I'm gonna go see Bedtime's the El Royale probably tomorrow. Lauren gets and... to go see that, and she was near Oscar Isaac, so she is literally living my best life. <laughs> he walked right past me, like I was like, oh, and you oh my did God. not tell him that. I actually don't tell him anything because right now he is the furthest thing from my mind. <laughs> I was, as as I said, I was amazed that he could actually be more attractive in he, person than he is on you know, screen. It's, like, it's a problem. That's not fair. Yeah, he, his eyelashes are legendary in person. Okay, they are amazing. <laughs> nice. Um, let's see, what am I doing this week? This week I'm going to a Academy screening of a Quiet Place with Q&A with John Krasinski. I got invited to that, and I contemplated flying down. <laughs> I need to move, damn it! <laughs> yeah, you do. Well, I'm going to that, so... And... I feel like I have something else, but I can't remember. Just it's put actually my face on a stick and, like... <laughs> I want to be the gnome from Amelie or whatever. Uh, yeah. There you go, with, yep. In spirit. Uh, yeah, but it's just... It's been a busy couple weeks and I'm actually glad that I have a little bit of downtime this week so I, I need some rest it all <laughs> so. starts picking up from here it's so true <laughs> oh man yeah because they're announcing the films for AFI which is coming up in just 
you know, a month. And then, um, oh, I submitted my applications for Sundance and South by Southwest. So I'm excited about that. So, yeah. All right. So that's going to close everything out for us this week. Um, As always, you can find us on the web. Uh, Our official website is citizendamepod.com. You can listen to the podcast wherever you get podcasts. Apple, um, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean is where we're hosted. Um, If you want to unlock bonus content, you can consider being a patron of the show. Uh, Go to patreon.com slash citizen dame. And for as little as a dollar, you can listen to Kristen and I talk about the gem that is Sicario. Uh, You can listen to our ultimate movie boyfriend bracket challenge and the Jeff Goldblum episode. By the time you're listening to this, it is there. (laughs) So (laughs) you can listen to it. So um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's all of that. You can also find us, uh, you can email us if you want to. Email citizendamepod at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash citizendame. And, of course, our Twitter is at citizendamepod. And, Kristen, where are you? I am on Twitter at journeys underscore film. Lauren? I am at LH Business. Kim? At kpier624. And I am at Karen M. Peterson. And that's going to do it for this week. Thanks so much. And have a good day, week, month, year, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Jan, the ship is stable. They're going to be all right. He's okay, Jan. I need you to go home. Fine. Turn the box back on. I'll see what now, I can do. Now, turn the box back on. Now. Well, there's security protocol. Well, I don't give a damn. I've got a dozen cameras on my front lawn, Deke. Do you want me telling them what's going on? Jen, you have to trust us. We've got this under control. No, you don't. All these protocols and procedures to make it seem like you have it under control. But you're a bunch of boys making models out of balsa wood. You don't have anything under control.